Last week's 10:30 service felt so so good. <laughs> it was only the second time since the pandemic began that we've had 60 people here on a regular Sunday. We had a team of three fabulous acolytes all under the age of 12. Our entire group of godly play regulars was present and accounted for. We even had a visit from St. Nicholas. And in that moment of joy when he appeared, it was clear that with such a distinguished guest in our midst, the best thing I could do was to flop down on the floor with the kids and listen to the stories of the good bishop's life. Then, lo and behold, the kids turned around to find gifts in their shoes. How on earth did that happen? Honestly, that's kind of how I want to spend all my time in church, sitting on the floor in story time and then receiving unexpected gifts. The stories we tell here are so life-giving, so hopeful, such good news that I want to absorb them every day and live them out whenever I leave this place. You may think that I'm overstating things. That's okay. Hyperbole is a valuable literary device. But when it comes down to it, I'm not exaggerating at all. Would you rather spend your time doing everyday things that you have to do or being steeped in wonder and joy? The business of the church is nothing short of the cultivation of astonishment. Certainly John the Baptist, even in the midst of calling sinners to repentance, is trying to facilitate a larger experience than mere groveling. Are you the Messiah? The religious officials ask him. Nope, says John. And the author of the gospel really goes out of his way to make this clear. John is not the Messiah. John is not the Messiah. He said so himself multiple times. Did I mention that John is not the Messiah? Well, just how much is John not the Messiah? So much so that John, though quite impressive, isn't even good enough to unstrap the Messiah's sandals in preparation for a good foot washing. Hmm, interesting metaphor. I wonder if that will come back later in the story. Well, anyway, you get the point. Everything John says and does awakens wonder and longing in the people because they know their Bible. They know what Isaiah talked about centuries before. Good news to the oppressed. Bind up the broken hearts. Free the prisoners. Comfort the sad. Plant the gardens. Rebuild the cities. And, very importantly, for the sake of all this being possible, call the bullies to account for their actions. How often do we see such things happening in real life? Well, bullies are sometimes held to account. But are any of us routinely experiencing pure and utter joy, falling down laughing on the ground because such amazing unexpected things are happening? This is what the prophets preach even when they're shouting at us. And John the Baptist stands in that long line of prophets preparing the way for that good news that is to take over the world. Again, like I said last week, this isn't a mere don't worry, be happy. It accounts for and includes all the sorrows we go through. The people hear John speak, and in the backs of their minds they recall Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. 
Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Oh, what longing for a time long remembered. And what longing for a time none of us has yet experienced fully. But in the moment the psalmist sings, it is a dry, barren time. Can't God change this? Like God changes the Negev desert every year? The Negev is an area of extremes. It can go from bare wadi to gushing torrent in mere moments. So while it's commonly called a desert, it actually receives too much annual rainfall to qualify as one. This week, I found a video on YouTube that shows the river Zin being restored to the Negev in real time. What struck me was how close the people parked their vehicles to the river. They knew exactly where the water would show up and that it would not overflow its banks. Its path is clearly defined and appears calculated to make the children thrill with excitement when it arrives. As I watched, I also thought about the fact that the Negev encompasses both Israeli and Palestinian territory. We watch with horror the injustices taking place in the Holy Land. It is abundantly clear that there is no such thing as a just solution to the problem, certainly not in our doing or on our timeline. The evil actions of Hamas and the indiscriminate response by Israel guarantee that the horrors will continue for a long time to come. How long, O oh Lord? Longing for good is one thing. Longing for an end to evil isn't quite another. How many generations will it take for the children of Palestine and the children of Israel to be able to play freely together? Have you ever longed for sudden rivers in the desert? For news so good that you could run around like a child and not get weary? I saw quite a bit of that happening in the parking lot last week after godly play. Young people playing tag and becoming joyful friends in the process. Appreciate the wonder of this. Marvel that we get to have that here at Good Shepherd. So what do we do when we are not in that place of joy? We weep which it is right to do, and we sow seeds. We sow the garden in apparent futility and water it with our tears. This is deeply faithful work, to get out of bed anyway and do what we must. Mourning our losses is part of the process of living. And if we trust in God, then the drought is the best possible time to plant. We gather here in church either because we believe this or because we desperately want to believe this. Those of us who have our doubts about good news may simply be looking to one another for support. There's nothing wrong with that. We lean on each other here. And we look around ourselves and sow seeds of gratitude. We're a fairly small congregation. But small congregations can be places of great vitality and joy. We tried to gather 90 financial pledges for 2024, and eventually we got to 87 pledges. That's good news. And I'm not yet willing to give up hope on three more pledges coming in. 
We are looking at a deficit budget this year to the tune of $42,000. But the vestry has chosen to balance it by dipping into our significant reserves instead of by cutting staff hours. I'm so grateful that previous generations have given us reserves. They sowed seed for us to harvest in a dry time. So yes, in this work of the church, we do have to talk about money and budgets and personnel. The Buildings and Grounds Task Force will soon share with you a preliminary plan for putting in an elevator, new restrooms, and a commercial kitchen and an expanded seaman hall, all of which will be useful not just to Good Shepherd, but to the wider community as well. We are preparing to send a draft proposal out for bids and figure out where we stand. How will we remodel our building when we're running with a deficit budget? Again, thanks to the work of previous generations, we have half a million dollars earmarked and ready to put to the task. We don't know yet how far it will go. We do know that all our facilities are aging and will need some major work regardless. And just when this begins to feel discouraging, a gift from an anonymous parishioner comes in specifically so we can finish our stained glass windows. There is abundance here. There is joy here. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. Here comes the torrent. You know, when I became your rector in 2018, part of the agreement was that after five years, I would be eligible for a sabbatical. I've delayed it a bit because of my perception that we were still coming out of the pandemic and needed consistent leadership. Now my working plan is to take that sabbatical in early 2025. The duration of it has yet to be determined, but it'll probably be a few months. So the coming year will largely be about getting ready to be a congregation without a rector for a little while, figuring out all the things I do that nobody else does, and either teaching others to tend to these tasks or deciding to rest them for a while. And honestly, these days I'm so full of gratitude for the people of Good Shepherd that I'm not worried at all about what will happen while I'm away for a bit. There are things that many of you do so well and that I have no talent for at all that I am not worthy to untie your sandals. We may find it difficult to do as Paul advises and give thanks in all circumstances, but this is one of the practices that is one of the main ways we can sow seeds, even during a drought. Who are the folks at Good Shepherd you are most grateful for right now? How about letting them know that? And so Advent continues, and our waiting continues. We wait for the birth of joy. We wait, even though there is ample joy among us already. We wait for the full revelation of God's hopes and dreams for creation. We wait, like a woman great with child. We wait, like a child not yet born, kicking restlessly, unable to imagine all the wonders to come. Amen.